Hello and welcome uh, to episode 144 of the In Squash podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Gibson. I hope everybody's healthy, safe, and well. Still battling through uh, the COVID uh, situation. Still not, I think for most of us, not really back on court just yet. Gyms have opened up in my area, but the squash courts, uh, at least at my club, and I think at most clubs around the UAE, haven't uh, opened yet. But I, I think that's not too far off. Now it's going to be interesting to see how we all go about opening uh, squash courts and how we go about uh, playing and getting on court. We'll see uh, how that plays out, but I'm sure we'll all get together as a global uh, community, the, the great global community that we are, and put best practices together, and we'll come up with a, a unified approach, hopefully, or maybe an approach that works given on the... The local situation as well, so we'll have to factor that into the UK, into the uh, equation. It's not only the COVID situation. You know, we're we're going through some some of the most uh, difficult and challenging and disturbing times of my lifetime. Uh, uh, and I did want to mention just uh, at the beginning here about the George Floyd uh, killing uh, by the police officers in Minnesota, and it's um, it's brought and necessarily brought us. Uh, brought the world uh, together, I think, or trying to come together uh, to think about uh, where we've gone wrong, because definitely uh, we've gone wrong uh, in some way, uh, in a lot of ways along the way, and we're not in a good place right now, and it's time, uh, it's definitely time to recognize that, and uh, I just saw on Facebook today, um, within our own squash community, Adrian Grant, very strong professional, I think it was top 10 at one point in the world, and he's won several PSA events. Uh, one of the guys really well respected in the squash community. He posted a heart wrenching look <clears throat> at his experiences uh, during uh, his lifetime as a uh, black man. And I, I highly encourage you to to read it if you haven't read it already. Um, and it's uh, it's on Facebook. Uh, just search uh, for Adrian uh, on on Facebook, and you can read that. I really encourage you to read it, and uh, everybody, let's uh, you know, let's pull together. We got to do what's right here, and as I said, you know, we're not in a good place. Uh, things like this should never happen, and let's uh, move forward and try to be better as uh, as people. Now, uh, today on episode 144, and really, uh, really honored to have on the the reigning world men's uh, squash champion Tarek Momin. And uh, we uh, we had a fantastic chat. As uh, many of you know, Tarek's a really good guy. If you've ever met him, I had the brief opportunity to meet him a few years back here in Dubai. And uh, the experience I had with him today on episode 144 uh, lived up and lived up to the hype and even more. So uh, it was a very insightful look back, uh, particularly a look back at his win. Very insightful look back at his win uh, at the 2019 championship, which was uh, monumental for him. It was something that uh, I think he really put all his eggs in one basket there and went for it, even though he might not have been in the best of form heading in, maybe even though he was not uh, at his healthiest going in. And it's really interesting to uh, to hear him talk about how that all played out. Uh, also, on top of that, we take a look, uh, we look back at uh, the COVID, we'll take a look at the COVID situation and Tarek speaks very eloquently about how he feels things should go and how the PSA uh, is likely going to approach it. He has uh, feelings um, 
on that and uh, doesn't really see uh, squash uh, PSA wise uh, happening in the ver in the near future at all so uh, we'll see what uh, hear what he has to say about that and also if you remember I don't know if you follow Tarek on Twitter but back in April of 2019 I think he posted a bit of a rant about uh, some officiating that he wasn't very happy with so I brought it up I think I uh, read him the tweet and he uh, yeah he d took a deep dive into that and we talked quite a bit about officiating we also uh, uh, take a look at a recent induction into the world Guinness Book of World Records uh, and we talk about uh, what that meant to him a very special uh, moment for him and uh, his better half world number one on the women's side Raneem El-Walili so episode 143 sorry 144 with Tarek moment now before we get into that though I want to uh, tell you a little bit about about our sponsor who is role who uh, is rolling out the app this week uh, it's called active scout and on june 1st it rolls out so active scout is a growth and retention tool for squash clubs now the clubs are slowly looking to open their doors we want to help your community grow not all members are returning from this break so growing club membership is more important than ever before start with you and a few regular partners active scout can be your chat tool for arranging games or simply going for a jog uh, maybe even doing some circuits or uh, some uh, some train squash related training if you're in the same neighborhood post updates about your club on the social platform and check out what other clubs are doing to get up and running faster maybe you can even find a club that might even uh, be open in your area so next step let your club manager know about active scout if your club still uses pen and paper as a booking system this is an opportunity to upgrade for free that's right so if your club still uses pen and paper as a booking system, why not upgrade right now for free to using Active Scout? If your club already has a booking system, let us know what your system is, and we will shortlist it for platform integration with Active Scout. Active Scout was designed by a level three coach to help grow our sport, so reach out to us today. Active Scout is now beta testing. Contact Rob at ActiveScout.com. Or visit the uh, the homepage http backslash active scout without the e dot com and we will send you a link to download the app. The email is just like the website rob at active scout dot com. That is active scout without the e. Now, guys, let's get into this episode one forty four. Really happy to have him on. Really lucky to have him on. Tarek Momin, reigning twenty nineteen World Open champion. Anyways, uh, Tarek, really appreciate uh, your time. Uh, thanks for doing this my for, pleasure. for me. Uh, my podcast has been out there for a while. I think uh, Renim was on maybe about a year. Yeah, and a half yeah ago. she told me. Yeah, that's fantastic. So, uh, anyways, before we get started, I just wanted to just want to know how things with you and your family uh, are going under these sort of unusual uh, circumstances with the pandemic. Well, thankfully, thankfully we're all safe. Uh, no uh, uh no infections so far which is great yeah um yeah we've been pretty much isolated uh, the last period um not 100 percent isolation but we have been avoiding contact with people in general yeah. uh, only only close family members are the ones we get to see yeah. Uh, but yeah thankfully we're we're still okay and hopefully we can keep it this way 
That's good. That, that's really good. I mean, it's a really tough time. I don't know what it's um, how things are going in Egypt as regards the pandemic here in the UAE where I'm based. And I actually, uh, we have very brief words, you and I, at the um, team at the uh, PSA Super Series final at yeah. the golf uh-huh. club. I met you very briefly there. Yeah, yeah. But uh, uh, here in the UAE, the I think things are starting. The the peak was about two weeks ago. I think the number of infections is uh, mm-hmm. going down now. How are things uh, in Egypt? No, unfortunately for us, we're uh, we're still hitting the peak. I think uh, mm-hmm. like the the cases are uh, the numbers are going up, especially in the last few days. Uh, it's been really going up, and we have no idea when we'll. Uh, when will we hit the peak and then start going down? Uh, but it's it's not looking so good at the moment. But on the other hand, the policies, it seems like we're about to open up. I'm not sure if that's the right time to do that. But yeah. the government is taking steps to start opening up a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess we'll see how, yeah. how this will turn out. Yeah, that yeah. seems to be the way it's going globally, isn't it? I, I know yeah. they just opened up all businesses uh, last yeah. week. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a tricky time because people don't have jobs now and uh, you know, the True, economy yeah. is not so good. So yeah, we'll see. Hopefully, though, if we keep up the good fight and everything uh, will be okay soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. really hope so. Now I'm just, uh, you know, uh, just sticking with this. Um, I'm just wondering how how does uh, the uh, the reigning world champion how does he stay elite during this type of situation? Uh, well, it's it's quite tough, I have to admit. Uh, <laughs> I tried I tried so hard for the first couple of months to, uh, you know, to maintain a routine where I would like uh, exercise every day and. Um, and like try to stay fit and, and stay in shape. Um, I, I, I think I did a pretty good job uh, for the first month and a half or two months in, in following with that routine and not missing any days. Uh, but then, you know, at some point you start to realize that the tour is not coming back anytime soon. We don't have any uh, sort of fixed date where we know it's guaranteed that we're going to start competing at that time. Yeah. So when, when you keep when you train and you have no targets whatsoever, you start losing a bit of motivation. And that's pretty much what happened uh, the last period, especially yeah. with Ramadan as well. We were fasting yeah. and I was getting tired towards the end. So I started to ease up a bit on the exercising uh, and the routine and everything. Uh, so I took some time off, but I started, I just started again to try to pick things up and because uh, I don't want things to go out of control. No, no, exactly. I mean, you uh, obviously, I, we'll get to this later, but uh, one thing I noticed uh, with the start of the 2019 season anyways, in 2020, I mean, your game was all, I mean, it seemed like you just came out of the blocks at the same, mm-hmm. playing the same game, but at, at a much higher and a more impressive intensity. You had the same skill set, but yeah. at a much higher, more, and, and uh I guess probably in the back of your mind, you don't want to uh, fall no. off that pace, do you? No, I don't. I mean, I really worked hard over the summer because I wanted, I, I really wanted to win that World Open title so badly mm. and I wanted to do really well in terms of rankings as well. I wanted to jump as as much as I can to make up for the gap that's there between me and Ali and Mo. Um, so I did work a lot and I wanted 
to get really close to these guys. Uh, so it's definitely a bit frustrating to have an abrupt end um, to the season. Mm. Um, I'm not gonna lie. I was I was struggling a bit towards the end of uh, like the last few tournaments. I was starting to feel a bit um, ex exhausted with a few niggles. So I needed a break, but not that long. You know, I just needed <laughs> yeah, to recover. Yeah. Um, so now, but that's bound to happen, break. isn't it? I mean, getting running in every tournament, you're pretty much in the semifinal or the final, with the exception exactly. of the. Uh, the Joel making the first round that yeah that yeah tournament. yeah true but I mean true. running uh, deep into every event I mean that's that's part yeah. of being that's part of the the package of being a world stall. champion isn't it yeah it takes its toll on the body and I I like I was never used to that it's only the last couple of years when I started to really make it to the latter rounds in every in almost every tournament and. Uh, I, I'm it's pretty new to me to deal with with the amount of workload that I'm doing. Uh, yeah. Over the season, so um, I'm I'm I was getting there. Like I was I was learning how to recover, how to deal with this. Um, I think I would have if I had had like a couple of weeks or three weeks, I would have recovered well and and be able to compete again till the end of the season. Uh, but now it's a bit tricky because I have I don't think I've ever been away uh, from competition for that long. Mm -hmm. uh, assuming that the tour, because we don't feel the tour is coming back in September. Uh, right, right. Is that how you feel? So, yeah. Yeah, I don't. I like it's mm -hmm. not looking like it's going to happen. And if it extends till December or January, for example, it's, it's it will be almost a year since since I played my last tournament, and yeah. I'm not what sure. Are your, what are your thoughts on that, Tarek? I mean, uh, do you feel yeah. you know is that the right thing to do? I guess it is because squash is such a unique. I guess it's unique in that way because we're just at such close quarters and it's a physical yeah, battle. I think, and I don't think that's the only problem though. I think traveling is the main issue because yeah. every, every country has its own policies in terms of like traveling and, you know, quarantine and, and stuff. So uh, we're not sure when will it be uh, back to normal in every country in the world because it will, it will, like it won't be fair to for some players if they live in a country where it won't allow them to move freely, where others can travel. So right. the tour can't come back until it's like it's pretty much okay in almost every country. Right. Um, so if if that happens and we stay away for for like almost a year out of competition, it will be very interesting to see who comes back. You know, holding things together. You know, mm. we're not mm -hmm. sure. We're not sure how, like, how people would, like, would come back and and, and maintain their level. Some people mm. might drop. Some people might retire. Some people might get better. You know, it's things yeah. will be a lot different with with this big of a gap. Yeah, absolutely. It's a tricky uh, tricky period, but uh, you know, now that the dust uh, has settled, uh, Tarek. I mean, you 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 won that world. Uh, championship back in uh, yeah. November and I remember at the time you, you you were kind of at a loss for words you said so yourself you didn't really know yeah. uh, what you thought but now you know a few months in you're you're the reigning you know as they say yeah. in the UFC or whatever the, the reigning uh -huh. world, uh, uh, <laughs> champion. how does that yeah. sound to you no oh, it's amazing and I'm I'm extremely lucky to be able to sneak that one before the coronavirus hit <laughs> otherwise yeah. I would have had to wait for like a couple of years to yeah. to get a chance to get a shot um 
yeah, it's it, as I said, it's it's been unbelievable um, achieving a, a big dream like this one uh, after so much hard work. Is mm-hmm. uh, it, it, I was speechless at the time, and it took me a very long time to you know digest it and enjoy it. And uh, I'm I'm truly blessed to be one of the few players on tour who would um, who would be proud to call themselves a world champion. And it's it's been yeah, it's been really great. Yeah, and uh, I was just—I was going to ask you earlier. I mean, uh, in the years past, you—you—you you, you know, demonstrated that you had the game to get there. But then, mm-hmm. did you realize, I guess, um, that being able to go deep into tournaments and have that type of fitness required maybe a little bit extra, and that—and that's what you managed to pull off during that summer training? Yes, I've—I uh, mean, I think I've been working on that aspect even before the summer um like mm. from this like from the previous season i was i knew i was lacking just a little bit in that department um uh, i would get to semifinals and finals and uh, and maybe on the final day i i can push and fight as hard as i can but there is always this little bit of shortage that would cost yeah. me the match um i mean it was it it was very obvious to me when i realized that i could like beat someone and then lose and then lose to the other and then in the next tournament if the draw is reversed i would beat that person and then lose to the other one mm. so it it's not a problem of of losing to the same player every single time right no it, it was a matter of being able to push every day until the last day as equal as as it was in the first day yeah that's that's um, true I, I mean i noticed that just going through your results i mean you've you've got wins over pretty much everybody at every, yeah, exactly. Relatively every different stage of an event, but yeah, not consistently and in, in the finals. In the in the finals, yes. Yeah. So I knew it was a good thing knowing that it wasn't a mental block or or anything. It was just I felt it was a bit physical, uh, mm. maybe mentally drained, exhausted, not mentally you know intimidated, which is different. And yeah. uh, I I knew that if I keep playing getting into the latter rounds of tournaments, I could develop that mental edge. And yeah. and in practice, I can work on the physical aspects and both would definitely get me there one day. That's brilliant. Yeah, well, it was fantastic to watch. And then also, and I'll ask you about this later, also to see a guy like uh, both you and Paul, two guys that, yeah. that demonstrated, uh, you know, hard work, lots of skill and just didn't quite get there previously and both mm-hmm. to get see both of you in the final was really special it was a it was a special uh world men's final that's for sure but i just want to take yeah. a look back at that event uh, the, the results leading up to the event to to the event for you didn't necessarily reflect that you were going to win that tournament i mean uh, uh, you lo- you'd lost first round i think maybe in the previous or two events prior to that but you had gotten to the finals and semis in events leading up to it. So heading, yeah. in, heading into that event, did you, uh, I mean, you said you wanted to win it. So you had the willpower probably. Yeah. But uh, was the, what were you thinking uh, the day of uh, the dawn of that event? Well, uh, I, I have to be honest. I, I was at one of my lowest points, to be honest, going wow. into this tournament. Yeah, because I, I, as you said, I started the season really well. I was extremely well prepared. I did all the hard work and I started up in San Francisco, uh, making it to the final and losing barely to Mo 3-2 in a very tough final. Yeah. Uh, 
But then the next day after this final in San Francisco, I started developing some heel pain, uh, plantar fasciitis. Which, oh, yeah. Uh, I've had that. Yeah. It, it turned out to be a, a real, you know, pain in the, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in the butt. <laughs> yeah, because, yeah. because until today, I still have it. I mm. haven't I haven't gotten rid of it. Yeah, it's it took me almost, two years. Yeah, to get I, rid I, of it. I have a feeling this is going to be the same case with me because it's been eight months now and I'm still suffering from it. Even though I've had plenty of rest, it still hasn't gone away. Right. But from that day, mm. I've been, you know, I've been really struggling with the like trying to get better between tournaments and trying to recover and I'm unable to do that. So when I go and, and practice, I can't push in practice and everything just went you know downhill so quickly so when i like i did i did well in in the u.s open i made the semis but i was in so much pain and i had to take painkillers wow yeah and then and then i couldn't practice properly for that for after that so my results became very inconsistent i lost to joel i was not in pain when i played joel i was fine because i took painkillers but yeah. my level and confidence had gone really, you know, uh, down. And yeah. um, and when I lost to Joel, I, I even lost more confidence. So going yeah. into the tournament, I was I was really in a in a in a bad shape. But thankfully, I had I had my team around me who who ex- like they believed in in my preparation. They knew that I had everything together. It was just the mental side that I need to work on. Yeah, because. As soon as I take the painkillers, I can play. So yeah. it's it's it's. Well, not I was going to ask you: Do you notice? Uh, I know when I have the plantar fasciitis, uh, mm. I, I'd feel the pain in the morning, like when I'd wake up in the morning. Yeah, that's. But that's not during, and maybe a little bit before a match, but never actually in in the match. I wouldn't feel it. Yeah. Well, at the beginning, it was it was so painful that in the morning I can't put my 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 foot on the floor yeah. for a while, yeah. and then when when i'm eventually able to walk i would still go to court and warm up for at least 30 minutes until i'm able to actually you know work with the pain so it was it was extremely bad at the beginning but then it got better so now when i when i wake up it hurts a bit when i walk around it hurts a bit but as soon as i warm up only five or ten minutes i'm fine i can compete i can play it it doesn't bother me that much anymore but um, at the time when when we were in Qatar and the U.S. Open. It was at its peak, and I really needed the painkillers to uh, to get through. But on the other hand, I couldn't take painkillers every day. So in in practice, it was it would have made it would have been not the not Feel the advised. best. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't take painkillers for two or three weeks in practice. Right. That's why right. I suffered a bit. So as I said again, mentally uh, it was the main issue to get to get through that week because it's it's the tournament that I wanted to win the most and it's yeah. the one that I've been working for the past few months. So uh, the yeah. the thought of of missing out on my chance only because I had this pain was really frustrating. Yeah. And uh, so thankfully, thankfully my my team just did an incredible job with me talking to me every day you know during practice and after practice it's just well they obviously obviously your team they must have i mean the people around you must have they, seen that, yeah. that you were you were ready to to go for it that you were ready they to, did. to go they believed yeah. i could do it 
And I had the belief in myself that I can do it, but I just needed, I needed to feel good on court. That's all I needed. Mm -hmm. And um, that's why I took everyone with me in Doha. I took my wife, who wasn't even playing, and I took my coaches, fitness and squash. My sister lives in Dubai and she came. Okay. Um, yeah. That's I why you had I, so many fans at, at the Super Series final. Yeah. Well, you've got true. family there. My, my, I have family <laughs> over there. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, when, so when I had this, when I had this setup uh, in Doha, I felt at ease a bit. Um, it was very nerve wracking the whole week. It, I was very nervous, but I was mm. being told the right things every day and they, well, that was a well-kept secret, there. though, wasn't it? Because uh, normally those guys on squash TV, they'd be, uh, you know, talking about something like that. Yeah, they, I didn't. They didn't. They didn't, uh, they didn't know. They didn't mention. No, anything. I never. I never talked about this. I mean, only few people knew. That's good. And, yeah. uh, you got to keep I, that I under wraps, want, right? Yes, and I didn't want to think about it as a like as an injury, because because yeah. if yeah. you if you really think about it, it's not a serious injury. It's just something that's really annoying. And you yeah. can get over yeah. it with some painkillers. It's just, yeah. it's, it's something that I didn't want people to discuss. And I didn't want the players to, uh, you know, think that there is a vulnerability. They could, you And know, then also yourself too. I mean, I know personally for me, I, I, I'm, my weakness, I might use it as an excuse deep down in my mind. I might think, oh, yeah, yeah. I got this. Yeah, no, I uh, had, uh, no, yeah. I mean, for this tournament, this particular tournament, I I didn't want to have any excuses. Yeah, I yeah. all I wanted was to win it. I didn't care if I was going to uh, die doing it. I would. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> so, that's uh, awesome. But it, during that event, uh, I wanted to ask you: it's six two two one in games down to a mm. very very talented uh, uh, Qatar, Qatari player Abdul Al Tamimi. Uh, yeah. You didn't you didn't seem to panic there though. Uh, what did you do there? Did, what switch did you flip uh, at six uh, two two one down? What was going through your mind then? Well, <laughs> what was going through my mind was not yeah. the best. I could see myself packing my bags and leaving. To be honest, really, really, but, yeah, yeah. Like when he was going up four two five two six two, that's mm. when I was having these thoughts because he was he was unplayable that day, yeah. especially at this period. He was just picking up everything and hitting unbelievable winners. And I had no answer to what he was doing. Um, so I started seeing a scenario where I'm actually, you know, losing and, and leaving the next day. Yeah. But yeah. at six two, I remembered I was in the exact same spot against Joel Macon in, uh, in Egypt only three weeks before. It was mm. a similar scenario and he was two one and seven feet up. And yeah. I remember I made the comeback. It was a very strong comeback, and I almost snuck that fourth game. If it oh, if it only weren't for a few uh, bad decisions, who knows? Yeah. It would have uh, it would have gone to five. So yeah. I knew I had it in me that I can push, and mm. this was the right time to do it. So I I I made a decision that I don't want to lose this match. I I really want to win this this title, and in order for me to do that, instead of trying to match him and and outplay him i just I, I was going to use my grit i decided to use my grit and determination mm -hmm. to just pick up everything he throws at me use your experience I, as well i mean he he's a young guy out there on the big stage yeah. maybe for the first time in front of his home fans exactly you make, don't want to give it to him do you exactly i yeah. i fought really hard i i don't i didn't necessarily play my best squash i just kept fighting every point pushing myself 
trying to pick up everything and hit the ball hard and mm. you know play basic i didn't take any risks and uh, it when i started winning a couple of points i started believing that i'm going to do it i kept pushing until until i found myself up again and then it got i think tricky at 87 he had a bleeding injury oh, and yeah, i was yeah. a bit worried because he took some time off like 10 minutes And yeah. you know when he comes back, I didn't know if he's gonna hit a couple of nicks and steal it. I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was nerve wracking. A bit of a lottery, uh, lottery exactly. time. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like the first point when we were back was really important uh, for hmm. me to to get this uh, healthy lead. Yeah. Um, I I did win it, and then eventually won the game 11-8 to make it to get myself back to two all, and from then on I picked it up and won the match. But it was it was the toughest. Uh, situation I faced uh, in the tournament, and then the second one would be against Simon in the semis, where I was in a similar situation. Yeah. I think he was one love and six two up in the second, That's and right. a two love lead uh, for Simon would have been. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, he he's, he plays well when he's ahead. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, I mean, you only I mean that having come back against Abdullah there, you went on through the you only lost one game after that. Yeah, the one against the first, yeah, yeah, the one, first against one against Simon. Yeah. Simon. Yes, true. I mean, it kind of released me in a in a way. Uh, I mean, I I at some point I really believed I was I was leaving the tournament. I was I was being knocked out. And yeah. when I managed to get myself back in a good position and win it, it just released me a bit. And you know, um, even though I was nervous because I still wanted to win the tournament, I I let go a bit and and played my own game, forced myself on, forced my game on other players, which is. What I needed to do from the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. Now, if you don't mind, uh, Tarek, uh, along with yourself, Paul Cole is another super talented guy who, who as you, uh, as we spoke earlier, he uh, he got to the final. He's obviously yeah. put in a lot of hard work, and uh, he did something to his game uh, over mm. the last little while. He's added a lot more, maybe a little bit more offensive variety yeah. uh, to his game. And that translated into to that result uh, for him a great finals, uh, a great Absolutely. result in that event. So, what did you, uh, what would you have to say about Paul's game, and what was it like? How special was it to play him as opposed to uh, perhaps Ali or Mohammed uh, in, in the final? Yeah, well, uh, Paul definitely made huge strides, uh, huge strides in the last, you know, three or four years. Uh, I mean, four or five years ago, I didn't even know who Paul was. You know, I mean, yeah. I'm serious. I mean, we were uh, like, I I've been on tour for the past 14 years, and um, yeah. I've been around like when I really 14 years, 14 yeah. years. Jeez. Yeah, it's, it's a feeling. It's a it's a fe yeah, it's been. Yeah, I, I saw some some footage of you playing uh, someone the other day, and you looked really really young. Yeah, <laughs> but you still I look young, but uh, you're not an I old know. man yet. <laughs> But yeah, you've been around for for a while, yeah. <laughs> True. So I was like, you know, I, when I made the top ten, yeah. Paul was not even on the scene. I had no idea who he was, you know. So in five years, the way he managed to, you know, get to number five in the world is impressive, really. And he's every year he goes into uh, like we we start the season and you see how he's developed his game, you know, in an offensive way, which is yeah. of course very dangerous for us because he's super fit. And, Super uh, fit, yeah, very physical more, as well. Yeah, yeah, and the more the bigger his arsenal gets, the the more dangerous he becomes as a player. So, um, going into this final against Paul, it was 
it was a bit tricky because I didn't have a great history against him in finals. Mm-hmm. Um, we've played a few times. I've had a few three love wins and a three two win. He's had a couple of three love wins against me in finals, which is uh, which brings back you know which brought back yeah. a lot of you know not so great memories going into <laughs> this final because yeah. I didn't want I want I didn't want the same scenario to happen again. Mm. I think it was like the only two finals we ever played against each other. He won both of them three love. So uh, I was very cautious of that fact and I didn't want this to happen again. I knew on a normal day I had good chances to win. But, you know, the circumstances with the finals, I, I didn't want anything to mess yeah. to mess this up for me. No, no. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, but I guess but, I guess uh, I guess with the new with with the the extra intensity that you did the the extra work that you did during the summer leading up to yes. to this open uh, that that gave you maybe that yeah, extra think, that you might not have had uh, previously. I think there were a few like a few factors. Um, uh, I mean that uh, like the the work that I've done and and the fact that I had to work mentally on blocking out any negative thoughts. I had to completely ignore and forget about what happened in any match that I played against Paul before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I only needed to think about what's going to happen tomorrow. I needed to erase any previous results from my memory. Um, I also knew that I, uh, even though I've had some you know, hustles during the tournament against Simon and against Abdullah, but yeah. I knew that Paul also had some really tough ones against yeah. Marwan and Omar Mossad. And I, uh, even though Mossad's match was probably four days before that final, but I knew it would, it would still take its toll on... Yeah, he, uh, seemed, he seemed a bit like a half step slower yeah. in that final. It could have yes, been the I, nerves or it could have been just the accumulation. Both, yeah. it, could be, it could be a several things because it's mentally, if you play your first World Open final, it's going to get into your head. Yeah. Uh, so physically, he must be a bit exhausted from the matches he played, and uh, at the same time, uh, mentally as well, could it could hinder your performance a little bit. So I wanted to capitalize on that as much as possible. Yeah. Um, I would say the first game was was a crucial, uh, yeah. was a crucial that game. That was a tight one. It did determine the outcome of this match because uh, I knew how important it was. Because if he had won that one, he would push a lot harder and gain the confidence he needed and for me to get that one I knew that I only needed to push uh, the first part of the second to be able to build up a healthy lead and get the confidence and maybe this would affect him Uh, I think he also like had uh, early on in that second game he had a he lunged he had like a full stretch uh, yeah I remember to the front right corner Yes, I, I uh, think yeah. it may have had an impact on how he was moving later on. Mm. Uh, so all these factors, you know, you know, I think managed, like, sort of determined the, the outcome of this match. Right. Yeah, well, it was a fantastic uh, tournament for Eterek. And, uh, yeah, now you're the reigning uh, uh, champion. And maybe... Uh, for the next couple of years as well. Who knows when we're going to be back? Yeah, who knows? So you, yeah, you, you'll, you'll be able to have that belt for, for a while. I'll, I'll have I'll be the, longest, the longest training uh, world champion ever. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, so you're not only a world men's uh, uh, champion, but you're also a world men's team uh, champion yeah. as well. Uh, now, I was just wondering, do you watch uh, Netflix at all? I do. 
Yeah. I do. Have you seen, uh, I, I, did you see The Last Dance there? Uh, the one, the Michael Jordan docu, oh, mini docu I, series? I, it's on my list. I still haven't watched it, but yeah, okay. it is on my list. Okay, well, you should watch it. I mean, not only because obviously Michael Jordan is the, you know, the of all yeah. athletes out there. He's arguably the, the greatest of all time. He's right up there. Mm -hmm. This, uh, this docuseries um, kind of exemplifies why. But the, yeah. what I'm getting at here with that is uh, the Chicago Bulls basketball team, they've won uh, six rings in a row. Not in a row, mm -hmm. but three and then three. Three in a row and then three in a row. Uh, mm -hmm. And they became sort of a dynasty you will right yeah now the last uh, dynasty in squash I, I guess you could, we could say egypt is almost there but pakistan has won i think in the 80s four world team championships in a row mm -hmm. i think uh, egypt has now got two in a row they lost uh, the third one back i think england might have won and then you won the previous one today. yeah so i'm just wondering is this something that maybe you and uh you know, Ali, uh, Mohammed, uh, you know, Kareem, all you guys. Do you guys talk about uh, Dynasty or is it Team Squash isn't necessarily something we talk too, too much about, but, but you guys take I it think, pretty seriously, I think. I think um, the, the, the thing that was standing out when we went to play in D.C. this year, or last year, was um, we were thinking if, if it ever happened that a team had three world champions out of the four players, they had three world champions. That's the thing oh, we yeah, were because yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, myself, Kareem, and Ali all we all uh, won it in the last uh, few years. And um, uh, and if if Moshe Buggy was the fourth one, yeah, then there the you go. Four <laughs> Unbeatable. It would have been. <laughs> Like on its own, it would have been a record, you know, whether we win or lose. Well, they, they have, uh, they talk about it in this docu-series that they called it the dream team, right? The uh, yeah. Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, uh, uh, Kareem, no, no, uh, Magic Johnson, uh, all yeah. those guys. So you guys would have been the veritable uh, dream team. Yeah, we were like, we were talking and uh, we thought if Abul Ghar wins the next one and then yeah. we can Well, he's play certainly again, capable, he's capable, isn't he? Yeah. yeah, true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so, yeah, but yeah, what we, I was getting never... at, though, is the, the, this dynasty thing. Like, as you know, back in the 80s, yeah. Pakistan with Jancher, Jahangir, and a mm -hmm. slew of other very talented uh, Pakistani players, they won that event four years, four, not years in a row, four world team championships. In mm -hmm. a row every, it's biennial. Uh, so, uh, but yeah. uh, then they won the fifth. So they won five of six. So well, I, I would I would define that as a dynasty. So you guys are yeah. right about there. We're, we're working on that. I mean, yeah. we we don't necessarily think about uh, the the achievement that's go, that's about to happen. We just go in there and we try to win as many titles to Egypt as possible, because yeah. maybe then in the future we would achieve something that no other nation has achieved. Uh, mm. But I don't think it crossed our minds to uh, compare our results to any other country. We're just trying to take the momentum as it's going and, and win as many titles for Egypt as possible. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, uh, as, I mean for, the, for the enthusiast and maybe the squash historians out there, they always mm -hmm. kind of, you know, we look back to the years of, uh, you know, the Jancher and Jahangir years as a dynamic, <laughs> dynastic type of... Uh, years and now we're in the middle of this Egyptian dominance, mm -hmm. right? And, and I yeah. think, uh, obviously it's happened. It, it, it's something that's part of squash, something that you and your 
your your fellow Egyptian squash players must be extremely proud of on the men's and, and women's yeah. side. So and and it and it just seemed to to happen. I mean, Ahmed Barada was great, and then we had Kareem uh, Darwish and Omar Alwasi and Shabana, and then and then yeah. it just kind uh, of rolled. Uh, kept on going and now now it's what it is yeah 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 absolutely yeah yeah i mean uh, it's 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 been a good 20 years <laughs> and we're trying to uh, yeah we're trying to capitalize on that you know whoever has the momentum like we're always going to try as hard as as we can to keep to keep things you know in control and to try to record uh, to try to record new achievements as mm. as long as we can you know because yeah. other nations will definitely rise up to the task and uh, and the competition i would think in the future would have would feature so many players from different nations and uh, and it, it's healthy for the sport for sure and that's what we want to see but as long as we're still in the as long as we still have the got the upper hand we want to achieve, you know, the the most, uh, or make the most out of it. Yeah, don't let up. I mean, Pakistan's a great, great example because uh, obviously they they dominated for that period, but now they're they're struggling. Uh, yeah. In terms of, of the the highest uh, levels of the game, they obviously mm -hmm. they have a lot of talented young players still, but uh, they've struggled uh, over the last twenty years or so to to get back to that. So I guess there's a lesson yeah. learned uh, maybe there too. Yeah, absolutely. but uh, I was going to say uh, maybe connected to this. You recently, you uh, and maybe some other Egyptian squash players, but yourself uh, and Norel Sherbini, you were given the Egyptian Sports Medal of the First mm -hmm. Order. A huge, yeah. huge uh, honor for for you, no doubt. Uh, now, what I'm going to what I was thinking was uh, the fact that uh, your government at the highest levels, even back. I, I remember back when Barada was playing in Kareem, mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the highest levels of government would end up, would, would be spectating in, at these events mm -hmm. and, and watching and, and uh, they're, they're enthusiasts themselves. So um, in your mind, uh, this must uh, really help uh, in terms of supporting squash in your country. Absolutely. And, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it was the case when I was younger and Ahmad Barada was playing. He had a lot of support and the president used to follow the news and uh, mm. like the, those kinds of uh, ceremonies where, where they would recognize the achieving athletes. They are so important for moral supports for us, like more support for, for us, the players. And at the same time, for the younger generations who, who look up to us, you know, and they like any player who would, uh, who's playing squash and would look up to... Uh, Noor, Raneem, myself, Ali, and anyone who's, who's achieved anything in this sport and gets the recognition of the highest order, like from the president, yeah. they would definitely look up to this and want to achieve that one day. So having, having role model figures in any sport backed up by, you know, the, the high echelons of the, of the country and the, the, the government would definitely, you know, entice the younger generations to, you know, pick up uh, what we left off. Absolutely. Now, uh, you brought up Ali, and I, I had the pleasure of having him on the podcast a while ago as well. And uh, he mentioned to me, as, as you know, he was, he's a Harvard grad, and he mm -hmm. studied uh, engineering. And at the time, I think he, he told me that he wasn't quite sure if squash was going to be 
what he's, you know, his chosen career path at that time when he was studying. And I think, yeah. uh, well, I know you, uh, you also have a background in academics. You studied electronics engineering at the American University of Cairo, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, sure. you know, tell me about that time. I mean, obviously it's a different scenario for you because, uh, uh, U.S. squash, varsity squash, and uh, even now more so than w even when Ali was there, is absolutely massive and uh, can support squash players and academics simultaneously. But I mm -hmm. guess while you were uh, engaging in your academics, uh, I'm not quite yeah. sure if that was the case. So, uh, back going back a few years, uh, Tarek, what were you think thinking back then? Uh, it was, um, yeah, it was. I didn't think about it that much when I enrolled. Uh, like I, I, I thought I can do it. I can balance between the two. And uh, as as soon as I started and the studies started to get a little bit tough, I realized that things are not as easy or manageable as I thought. Mm -hmm. But I still had to work really hard to um, not to lose, you know, balance because I. Uh, I cared a lot about my squash career. I didn't want to, you know, drop out. Uh, unfortunately, I had to miss out on on so many PSA events during my five-year study. Um, I I think I would play six or seven tournaments a year maximum, yeah. mostly during my summer vacations or winter vacations. Um, but I somehow I managed to maintain my level i was not developing or progressing as as much as i would have wanted but i still maintained a decent level mm -hmm. where i could finish my studies and not drop off um by the time i was graduating i somehow i managed to make it into the top 20 which was a huge achievement yeah, yeah. Uh, for me was that a goal like or so did you have goals set for yourself during that period i uh, i honestly didn't Nope. I didn't uh, while studying because it was super hard. Um, mm. I didn't like I cared about my studies as well. So I, I I always cared about my grades. I wanted to get good grades and graduate with a high GPA. Yeah. So uh, in order to do that, I had to you know study for like miss out on squash trainings for a while to to finish my exams and stuff. So it was always up and down. Uh, it, it was never consistent and. If I played a tournament with those circumstances, I, I might one time play really well and beat like super strong players. And some other times I would lose to players who are ranked way below me. And right. that was the main theme during my five years at university. In, I inconsistency. Yes. I mean, <laughs> I remember in 2008, I was in my third year. I, in the summer, I played the platinum event and I beat Gauthier, which huh, was... Right. Uh, and he was like the, the world number two at the time. And I knocked him out of a platinum event uh, in the first round. So that was my high. And then I would, like in a few months, I would play another tournament and lose maybe to the world number 120. Right. You know? right. So I had absolutely no idea where my form is, where it would take me. But um, I just, as, as long as I saw myself on a good day, being able to pu push the, the top players, I knew that I had it in me that I can, you know, uh, that I can compete. So I just wanted to get this over with the five years and then maybe uh, see how it goes. The problem was when I graduated, I, I found myself in a similar situation as Ali, where mm -hmm. I wasn't so sure whether I should seek the professional career and drop 
and drop my my, my engineering degree um, yeah. because I I I mean I have a for for most uh, multinational companies in Egypt or like engineering companies I would have a perfect CV I have a, an extremely high GPA and I have an an excellent uh, sporting you know athletic uh, accomplishments yeah and. Uh, that would be, you know, uh, that would gra- yeah. like guaranteed. I'd guaranteed. Uh, I'd be guaranteed Profe- a good, yeah, great, great professional opportunity. Setup you know? for you. yeah, yeah. So it, it took me a while to decide, but I, I, I really wanted to play squash and give it a chance. Mm. So I put some targets. That's when I started to put some targets for myself. Um, like by the, I'd say by the end of the year, I want to be the world number X. Uh, if I do that, then I give myself another extension and so on. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I did. Every time I put in the like I put a a target for myself, I managed to achieve it. So and that's how I uh, that's how I eventually decided to take it up as a pursue, profession. Pursue it professionally, one hundred percent. That's great. But uh, yeah, those years must it must have been uh, rewarding to see. Uh, yourself mm-hmm. being able to, you know, graduate with your engineering degree with a GPA, an excellent GPA, and then also to maintain a mm-hmm. uh, w- relatively world-class level of, uh, of squash simultaneously. Yeah. So uh, you got to be proud of that. Now, yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Now, there mm-hmm. just a couple, you've been great with your time, uh, Tarek. I just got a couple of things. There sure. was one, um, uh, I think back last year in April, you posted something now about, about officiating. And uh, there, as you know, uh, there have been a lot of sort of, the, I would say, improvements in my estimation as regards officiating. That doesn't necessarily mean it, it translates on the court during a match. But I, mm-hmm. I, I really do like the fact that there's the, uh, the, the, the review, the video review, when that's mm-hmm. uh, available. And I think that's cleaned up the game quite a bit. But uh, there, I, and like you uh, mentioned in, in a tweet, I'm going to read it to you here in a second, if you don't mind. Uh, yeah, because I mentioned, kind of forgot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. But um, but there are a lot of head scratching moments, not only for me, not only for you, but for a lot of uh, the squash uh, community who follow the game. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's that are you know no lets and strokes that look like no lets and think things like yeah. that. there there's a period there it seems to be getting a little bit better but uh, i'll just read uh, if you don't mind read your your tweet you tweeted this back in april of 2019 you said uh, referees are instructed to encourage players to hit the ball and not give cheap strokes problem now is most of them uh, refs only look at the distance between the ball and the player with complete disregard of the swing if they see a relatively clear front wall, they give a let, and sometimes even a no let. What about uh, the follow-through uh, or the backswing? Are those no longer part of the equation? So, I mean, yeah. I, I couldn't agree uh, with you more with your, in terms of your frustration because as a player watching a match, say I'm watching you play, and, uh, you know, suddenly you're not given a let, which looks like a stroke to me for, for some reason. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, 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 what, what's your take on this now? And since then, obviously time's passed and uh, the games have evolved. And I think officials uh, are meeting and they real. I think they do realize things are changing, right? So at the, at the at yeah. that level of officiating, what's your take on, on that now? Yeah. Well, well, the, for the, for the particular situation, which you mentioned, I've, uh, I, yeah, I completely remember tweeting about this, and um, 
I, I spoke to Lee Drew about it before because it seems like I, I can see why they give the let because they look at the distance between the player and the, uh, and the ball and the other player. And it, even though it may look that the ball is, is quite distant from the other player, they don't... Uh, sometimes I feel the referee does not account for the follow-through. Like, I may hit, like, the, my backswing and the impact, the moment of impact would be clear, which, yeah. which is why he gives the let, but he, he wouldn't expect me to stop my swing immediately at impact. Yeah. So yeah. That's, that's my issue. I wanted to get this point over, like, to the referees that there is a follow-through, and if the follow-through hits mm. the player in the face, then this is supposed to be ruled as a stroke. Yeah, and um, I think something else you mentioned too was the fact that, you know, uh, these rules, lets, at the end of the day, a let is in place for the protection and safety of the players on the court. Yes, exactly. I mean, mm. I, I, I have a feeling that there's been some confusion amongst the referees the past few years because so many, like a lot of changes have been introduced and it's, it's only understandable when this happens that the referees might take a while until they digest every situation. Like they, they watch so many situations and finally come up with a formula that's consistent. So, um, yeah, a lot of changes have been introduced recently in the hopes of, of making the game cleaner and fairer to the players, which is great. Yeah. Uh, but unfortunately... This, this came with a cost that the, the decisions have been quite inconsistent the last season or season and a half. Um, but I'm hoping that throughout, the, throughout this break, uh, the referees would be meeting regularly to watch situations and try to come up with the, like, you know, a formula where they would rule this situation as a let versus this situation would be deemed stroke. Uh, once they, I, I mean, my main issue is um, is consistency. I wouldn't want to see uh, uh, the same situation ruled as a stroke and then five minutes later ruled as if something yes. else. Yeah. I mean, if, even if it's a wrong decision, I just want to see it uh, being consistently ruled right or wrong, so that I know how to deal with it when when I feel that this is coming up again or happening again. Um, once they achieve that, I think we would be stepping, taking a step into the, in the right direction. Right on. Uh, now I'm going to, uh, I think in a couple of weeks, actually, Roy Gingell, uh, I'll be speaking with him, uh, on my podcast. So do you, do you have any questions for Roy? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll well, write them uh, down. <laughs> yeah. My only question, my only question would be how come we're not seeing you as often as yes, we used yes. to in the past. <laughs> okay, that, that, that's a great question. He'll, yeah, uh, can't wait to hear what he says. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, now before before we finish up, uh, Tarek, I thought it was really awesome, and and you did too. Uh, obviously, uh, I'd be remiss if I did not mention uh, your better half. Uh, sure. <laughs> Renine, um, you know yeah. she's uh, world number one right now, yeah. and uh, she's world champion, and uh, much like yourself, and as a result. Uh, you guys have uh, made it into probably the book that I think every family has on their yeah. bookshelf, uh, the Guinness Book <laughs> of World Records. I remember reading it as a kid. 
Uh, we always uh, used to get it every I every did year. I have my copies as a kid as well. Oh, they're awesome! Eh? I, I used to love the covers. Yeah, the <laughs> covers were great. And remember the the, the the images of the guy with the the world's longest fingernails. The nails. Oh my god! Oh my yeah, goodness. I remember it. Crazy. I I remember him and the lady with the eyes. You know, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, you guys are in there now as the first yeah. squash uh, couple to be crowned world champion. So, uh, yeah. How, how does that feel for for you guys? I mean, being at home, having two world champions, uh, you're both so uh, understated and so uh, friend friendly and nice. Uh, so it, it obviously hasn't gotten to your head. Uh, but how does it feel to have? Uh, another world champion uh, in the name of your wife. Uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely amazing and something we're super proud of. I mean, I, like, I've, we've been trying so hard to win one of the big majors together and uh, yeah. we, we haven't been successful in that area, but never did it cross my mind that instead we'd be making a, a, a Guinness World Record. So we're definitely super <laughs> proud of that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we uh, have the... We have a frame with the certificate that we're gonna put up in our house so that our kids and hopefully our grandkids would one day, you know, <laughs> yeah, <don't, laughs> see them. Um, I'm not sure about the book though. I'm not. I'm not so sure if they put up like put every single achievement into the book. Yeah, um, well, it will your, be yours is a legitimate one. Some people go out there it and is. they they try to do these wild. Uh, you know, create their own world record of, you know, yeah, something yeah, silly. Yeah, true. But uh, yeah, it could maybe, maybe in the actual book, I guess we'll have to buy the, uh, the 2020 yeah. version Hopefully. of it and see if it's there. Yeah, we hope so. We certainly hope so. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, yeah. well, Tarek, uh, by the way, uh, <laughs> what are you watching on, on Netflix these days? Um, right now, uh, like I just finished the How to Get Away with Murder. Yeah, is it good? Worth worth watching? It, it is, but the last season I had to watch it somewhere else because it's not on uh, on Netflix yet. Um, okay. It's it's intense. Like yeah. there are, there's so much happening over there. Uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, in, yeah, yeah I, I did enjoy watching some of the documentaries, especially the one on the Russian uh, doping scandal, uh, okay. Icarus. It yeah, was, yeah, that it was, was very, uh, that got really good reviews. Yeah. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was, it was quite, you know, <laughs> mind opening <laughs> or yeah. eye opening. Yeah. Uh, it was, uh, yeah, I had, I watched, um, like now we started watching uh, another sort of documentary, The Spy, about oh. uh, like an Israeli spy who was in Syria. I mean, we only started watching the first episode and okay. we'll see how. Oh, that oh great, out. great. Well, uh, yeah. if I could give a recommendation, uh, I'll, I'll take a look at what was the one you mentioned first? Uh, the uh, uh, one you just, no. The, uh, oh, how to get away with money. Yeah, I'll, I'll take but a look at that. But that's like one. Uh, that's like uh, entertainment, but it's not yeah. very informative. Right, but, right. Yeah. No, no. I, 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 you know, you gotta have a mix. But uh, one that I, I really enjoyed. Uh, it's a little bit. Uh, it's all. It's quite dramatic, but it's based on a true story. Maybe you've seen it. The uh, it's called Unorthodox. Uh, unorthodox. Okay. Unorthodox. It's only a short uh, mini series, but uh, it's mm -hmm. kind, of, kind of different. It's not. It's based on a true story. Um, it's about a Jewish, uh -huh. a Jewish girl who leaves her really orthodox uh, family in order to try to start. Uh -huh. her life. But uh, oh, interesting. yeah, yeah. It, but uh, I like Dozark too. So that that was great. 
don't know if you saw oh, it. Oh, yeah, we haven't watched it yet. Yeah, it's pretty... Uh, I want to watch the Ma Michael Jordan's the documentary oh, as well. Oh, you so. got to watch that. Oh, my. And then, and then, the list is long. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, we've got time for it, Tarek, unfortunately and unfortunately. But uh, you've been uh, really great with your time. And I just want to say uh, thanks for all it's the great pleasure. squash over the last little while. And uh, congrats on the world championship. Thank you so much. See you on court soon. Yeah, hopefully so. Thank you. Well, that was a Tarek moment. Really awesome stuff there from Tarek. And appreciate the reigning 2019 World Men's Open champion for coming on and speaking for almost an hour with me about that experience and about many other interesting topics there. So thanks so much to Tarek. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Now, I've just got a couple of things I want to mention here. First of all, uh, Squash Skills is debuting its documentary on urban squash programs this Sunday. So why don't you check that out? If you have time, uh, go to their, their Facebook page, uh, Squash Skills on Facebook, and you'll see the link uh, to that as well. I've also shared it on my uh, Facebook page. Uh, so just check that out on Sunday if you have time. The Squash Skills documentary on urban squash programs. And uh, on this uh, podcast, episode 145, with any luck, we're going to have Rob Dinnerman come on. And, uh, you know, if anyone knows Rob and I, uh, you know, I've gotten to know him a little bit over the last uh, four years and I knew him in the past. He's a historian of the game. Uh, he's uh, forgotten more than I'll ever know uh, about the history of squash. And he's going to come on and talk about uh, a few things, uh, namely, that it was announced that Brown is going to cut squash from its varsity uh, athletics programs among uh Squash is just one of, uh, I think, 11 sports that they're cutting in order to, as they say, remain competitive in other sports. But uh, I'm sure Rob has, uh, has a bit more details on that, and, and uh, we'll be talking to him about the Brown situation. Also looking at uh, the hardball doubles uh, scene, uh, okay, uh, the season had, I think, was coming to an end just before the COVID uh, situation. I may be mistaken about that, but we'll be uh, talking about the hardball doubles situation. And also also, U.S. Squash's uh, handling of the COVID-19 uh, situation and how he views that. So, Rob Dennerman, always entertaining, and there aren't many out there who know more about the game than Rob. So, I'm really looking forward to, uh, to having him on. And, uh, everyone, thank you for listening once again. Take good care. You know, I hope you and your families are all safe and healthy. And let's get through this uh, challenging times. Let's do the right thing. Let's be civic-minded and come out of this on top of the game. Take care now. Goodbye.